And so, I wanna, so we're just going to begin by reading. We're going to jump in. So here's how we're going to do things over the next few weeks. Man, we're, 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 going to, we're going to dive in. And so from now to the end of May, we're going to be going through Revelation. We'll get as far as we can get. And then because, you know, several of the teaching pastors, you know, we ro- kind of rotate in and out of the summer because of vacations and that sort of thing. We'll take a break. We'll have another uh, series or two in the summer. And then coming back in the fall, we'll pick back up and we're just going to make our way through this. Just so you know, I feel zero pressure to rush this thing. And, and so we're just going to take our time working through this. And so even as I'm, as I'm teaching, like, like I've got notes and notes and notes, and I'm not going to keep this service. You're not going to be here till two or anything like that. Like if it doesn't get said, I'll just, somebody's getting excited about that. That's Troy Foster over there. One time he told me, he said, Pastor, you know they're not paying you by the hour, right? So I know know what you're doing over there. (laughs) But no, we're we're just, when, when, you know, know, we'll we'll work through when it's time. We'll we'll dismiss them, just pick it up the next week. But I am looking forward to what we're going to do. And man, can I just say something? Yesterday... Uh, I had the chance to officiate a wedding, and uh, two of our two of our very own uh, got married. And uh, I, I just I want I want to talk about the commitment they are starting their life off right. Dale and Tina are here the first day of their honeymoon in church. That is awesome. You guys, can you just stand up? Stand up. Stand up. Come on, that's what I'm talking about, guys. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man, it's so good to have you here. I, I love embarrassing young couples. And so that is great. Oh, but man, let's just pick up our reading here. And I'm going to read through the entire chapter this morning. So just, let's, just, let's just work through this. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, check out verse 3. If you don't have this underlined yet in, in Scripture, if you're following along on the Bible app or something like that, make sure that you underline this, highlight this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What time is near? Well, that's what we get to jump into over the next few weeks. So John then introduces this. Uh, This is his opening introduction. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, and we're going to learn more about them here in just a minute. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What? What? Seven spirits? Hold on, we're going to get there. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Man, isn't this great? The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Man, we could just stop there. That's a gospel right there, man. He just, these guys know how to write a good introduction. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Who is coming? Jesus is coming. Is that good news or what? Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You need to underline that verse. 
Can I just say something? I, I'll give a little commentary this morning as we're getting through this. There are days you feel like your, li- like, like your life is out of control. You are, you might feel like you're out of control. God is never out of control. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega. It means that he was there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end of the age as we know it. This is the God we serve. And thank God for that confidence, man. That is good. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, now let me pause this. Okay, so let, let me just say this. As we're, as we're going through this, it's very easy for people to be more obsessed with the, with the uh, symbolism of revelation than they are with the person who revelation is all about, right? And, and, and so what we do, we just, a lot of times, we just go, we like, man, I can't wait to get into revelation. We just take it at a surface level and, and we fail to be faithful to the word of God. And what I mean by that is, is, is to be faithful to the word of God is not just to, to understand it as it was written, but to first examine the details and the context in which it was written. We got to understand who it was written to. We have to understand what, what's going on historically. And to be honest with you, most of, most of us didn't enjoy history in, in, uh, in high school. And we just, bla- you know, it's like, ah, it's not a big deal. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you skip over that, you're being unfaithful to the word of God. You have to know the context. So let me give you just a little context. Some of you, maybe you haven't heard this before. So what, what's he talking about when he gives us this little background information? So, so uh, and Tertullian, who's a great church historian in, in the, uh, in the uh, second century, uh, wrote, wrote some of this. John is the last living apostle at this time, Okay. So by, by the time this is written, he's probably around 86, 87 years old or so. Every single one of his compadres that, that, that walked with Jesus, they have been martyred by this point. Every one of them have died. That's interesting because what, what we'll find out, and, and I'll, I'll drop in some of this as, as we're going through this, is John is the only disciple of Jesus that died a natural death of natural causes that was not martyred. And in fact, anybody remember the end of uh, John, and it's in John 21, where Jesus is after the resurrection, they're out fishing, and uh, he, he does that whole thing with, with Peter where he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, and, and he gives him a new calling. And then he tells Peter what he is going to suffer. He actually tells him how he's going to be martyred. Do you remember that? So, man, perfect Peter. He gets done telling Peter this, and, and John walks by, and Peter's like, hey, what about him? What's going to happen to him? <laughs> and in essence, Jesus says, mind your own business. Like, he does it politely, but, but he says to him, he said, he said, what's it to you? He said, what, what, if I, what if I decide to keep him alive until I come back? What's that to you? Well, it's very interesting that, that John is the only one that wasn't martyred. Now, it wasn't because they didn't try. Because at the time this is written, there's a, there's a Roman emperor by the name of, of Domitian who's on the throne. And, and man, you, you got to know this guy if you're going to understand the historical references because there are going to be allusions that they would know culturally, things that he was saying. It would be like current events. Like, for instance, if I come in today and I talk about the tragedy in Nashville, because we've watched the news the last few weeks, we all have context what we're talking about. 
When he's, making, when he's making reference to a few things, he's making references that would be caught in that historical context, that, that culture. They know what he's talking about. So, so Domitian is, is a guy that's on the throne. He is, he is, he's messed up. Uh, he, he set himself up to be worshipped, to be deified. He had them build temples and statues to himself. And then he went beyond that. Like he would stamp images on, his, on, on coins of him. The only way they could, they could trade was with coins with his image on them. Very interesting things that you're going to see as we, as we go through this. In fact, on the coin, there's going to be a picture of him holding seven stars, which is a sign of the gods. Uh, that, that, that's, that's going to show up. Um, but he is the one who was responsible for the killing of, of several Christians. He's the one. It was a big deal for, uh, for, for uh, you know, he, he, the whole gladiator thing was going on during his reign. And one thing in particular that, that he wanted to do was to wipe out this sect called the way. And if you, if you read, uh, if you read Acts, you'll know that was the early name for these people called, uh, Christians. They were called followers of the way. And so, so what he would do is he would bring them in and he would give them the opportunity to renounce Jesus as Lord. He would give them the opportunity to, to burn incense to him or to one of his, his statues or whatever, and to curse Christ. If they did not do that, they were killed. Well, he, he, brought, he brought John in. Now, to give you a little historical thing, do you remember at the cross, John is the only disciple that, that is recorded as being at the cross. Do you remember what Jesus said to John before he died? What did he say? Take care, of my, take care of my mom. That'll preach right there. People, take care of your moms. That's, that's scriptural right there. That's Jesus. But no, he, he looked at John and he said, John, this is your mother. And he spoke to his mom, Mary. He said, this is your son. And it says from that day, day on, John took Mary into his house. And historically, we, we have evidence, archaeologically, evidence as well as recorded history, that John from that day forward took Mary into his house. They, they lived in Jerusalem, but later when the persecution became more and more intense, they ended up residing in Ephesus. They went to Ephesus, and that was where Paul had started a church. And by the time John and Mary uh, and the rest of his family moved to Ephesus at that point, the bishop of that church is a guy by the name of Timothy. We have First and Second Timothy, letters that are written to Timothy. He's the bishop of the church there. John lived on a house outside of the city. And, and while there was, there was certainly uh, persecution in the city, you had to be careful what you said. Because he lived outside the city just a little ways, he, there, he really wasn't messed with until D uh, Domitian really began to push this. Man, we've, we've got to make sure that we wipe out the sect. And they brought him in. In fact, because he, was, he actually was with Jesus, they brought him before Domitian himself. He had to appear before the emperor, and, and the emperor personally asked him to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. He refused and so he had, so, so Domitian, uh, Tertullian records this, he had a vat of oil brought in, they boiled it, and they put John in it to kill him. And Tertullian records a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of moment. They tried to boil him, and it did not work, which freaked out Domitian. And so what he did was he banished him. He said, I never want to see him again. And he banished him never to be in his presence again because he's terrified of him. Sent him to a place about 60 miles off the coast of what's now Turkey. 
this island, uh, I say 60 miles, it's a little bit closer than that, but anyway, uh, they, they sent to this, this island called Patmos where they would send two groups of people. First of all, the violent, the rapists, the, the, they, they would send them there. They would also send uh, those who, who got crossways with the emperor. If you were a violent, uh, a violent criminal, a rapist, a murderer, you were under, Roman soldiers were, were all over you, like, like you, you didn't have freedom. But if you got, if you're just crossways, you weren't a threat to society or whatever, they, you, they would drop you off. But here was the deal. They wouldn't provide food or anything else. You, you'd have to roam the island. And so this is where John was. And we know that he was there for about 18 months because about 18 months into his exile, uh, Emperor Domitian died and Rome, because of, of his excessive uh, cruelty and his excessive egocentric ways, they tore down a lot of the temples and statues built to him and they actually overturned a lot of his, his uh, you know, acts, including these exiles. And, and so what we have from recorded human history is that John came back to Ephesus and died probably in his early 90s. But while he's on Patmos, and he's there, like he said, because he would not renounce Christ... He has this vision, and this is all what, what we're going to be studying over the next little bit. He said, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book. And here we go. We're introduced to the names of the seven churches, and we're going to study this next week, uh, the specifics. Write this to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Watch that. What's that? You're going to learn. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, it's a reference from Daniel, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Just so you know, this is not the first time Jesus has been described this way. He literally is quoting the Old Testament. These are descriptions that are already found in the Old Testament. And so it's going to be very important that, 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 we're, that we're keeping note of this, that you're like, huh, wow, that was quite the dream. Well, he's actually seeing what's already been seen, but he has never seen him personally. And this guy who spent time with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who knew him intimately, this was not the Jesus that he walked with in flesh and blood. This wasn't the Jesus that was born in a manger, a little baby. This wasn't the Jesus whose body was broken and bruised and bleeding on a cross, I want you to notice what happened when, when John saw the heavenly Jesus, the, the, the Jesus that has ascended to heaven. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, which Jesus had to say that a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like he's walking the water. Fear not, it's, it's I. He rose from the, the, the dead and like, ah, fear not. Not a ghost, it's me. John, oh, fear not. Like, <laughs> After a while, just get it figured out. Like, that's a big deal. It's like, hey, I, I know, it's scary, but fear not. He said, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That is some good news. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, here we go. We're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. 
as long as that and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And if you read uh, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 11, you'll even know the seven spirits are on the throne are referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, read, read Isaiah 11 too. There's a sevenfold spirit we, we see there. It's just the fullness of the spirit. And so it's just describing what, what's going on. And so then you're like, okay, let's go. Let's get into chapter two. That's next week, okay? So... What I've got to do today, before we, before we dive in, and we're going to get into a lot of the details, is I'm going to lay the foundation. And what I know is, is when you're building a house, the foundation is exciting on one hand because it means that it started, but you're not as excited about the foundation as you are picking out faucets. Okay, here's the deal. We got we to gotta we lay the foundation before we get to the decor. And so we're just going to lay this foundation, and then we'll build and go from here. So here, here's what I want to do just to, to get rolling this morning little man on the street uh, interview. What is the first word that comes to your mind? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of revelation? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of revelation? What's the first word? No more sorrow. Okay. No more sorrow. What would you say is the first word that comes to your mind? What's the, what, okay. No clue. Actually, there's a lot of people that would have that. What, what, what would you say is the first word that comes to your mind? No, don't point to her. I'm pointing at you. She's already talking. Oh, she's already, t- she's, oh, she's already giving you commentary on my she, notes. I see how that goes. So ask her. Okay, what is it? The future. The future. All right, that's good. Well, we know what this section thinks. Let's go see what this section over here thinks. All of a sudden, people stop breaking eye contact with me. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm, uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Revelation? Finally, finally. What about you? He's coming again. Coming again. Victory. Victory. That's good. Judgment. Judgment. All right. So we got these two sections. Let's go over here. This is great. I will not leave you guys out. You are my people, so I'm coming over for you. Listen, I, I've, got, I've got you covered. Um, let me just work my way. Well, let me work my way down here. Um, Joel, what, what comes to your mind? Comfort. Comfort. Nice, nice. Like that comes to your mind. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Comes to your mind. In times. In times. Okay, so here's the thing. Like everybody, I, I think you've actually probably most of us hit the four words that I think come come to our you know come to our mind. In fact, I think that there are reason. There's sometimes uh, reasons why people avoid this, and it has to do with some of the words we've said. Now, comfort. Uh, victory, overcome. I mean, those are all good things. Now, here's what I want to say, though. The big theme of Revelation that I want to make sure that we understand is, is this, because this is a message, remember, that God has revealed to Jesus, and it says that Jesus Christ is giving to the seven churches, but what we're going to see, while he has given it to seven real churches in a real time facing real problems, it is a message that is still relevant for the church for, for the church today. And the message is this. Big theme of Revelation is this. Through Christ, the church will overcome. Through Christ, the church will overcome. And, and the key part of that is through Christ. Through Christ. We're, we're going to break that down here in just a minute. It's interesting because over the last the last several years, as I've been uh, since I've been a pastor, um, 
I've heard a lot of different people that, that wrestle with even studying it. And, and, and there's, a, there's a number of reasons why. I think one is just uh, the, the first reason we don't study Revelation is because of intimidation. It's like, man, I'm not, like, not going to understand this. It's just weird. Like, I am not going to grasp this. But I want you to hold on to something. Um, again, this was not written to PhD students. Th- this message is given to a church who it's made up of ordinary people. They would have historical context that we don't have, but we can actually find some historical context as we dig. They, they know probably the Old Testament better than we do, but again, we have the Old Testament. We, we can do some digging here as well. It, it, it actually has a message that can be understood. Are we gonna understand every single little detail? Probably not. Like at the end of this series, there are going to still be some things that they'll be like, hmm, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I just, I just don't know. But, but let's, not, let's not trade what we can know for what we can't figure out clearly. There is a message that can be grasped. So I think, I think it's really important. The, the, the second reason why uh, that we avoid it, I think, is just because all the fighting. People fight over this. And, it's, and I'm, I'm going to say some strong language real, real quick. I'm not going to cuss. But I'm going to say some strong language. <laughs> Listen, if you're fighting over Revelation, please stop it. It's stupid to fight over, uh, over things. Listen, the, there have been a, a myriad of, of interpretations and, and all that uh, across the years. Now, there are some that are psycho. You don't believe me? Go Actually, don't go to YouTube and don't type in Revelation because it's going to take you to some, some guys that are, are literally like these weird conspiracy nuts that, you know, it's like, man, I'm going to add up all these numbers. I'm going to put all this together and I'm going to build it. Like, I will tell you, you're going to get caught in the weeds with some really, really weird stuff. And, and so, so if you are fighting about this, please stop. This message was not given as a divisive message to the church, it was meant to be a unifying message to get the church on the same page. And so, so you got to know that the, that the spirit in which this is written is not, is, is, not, is not division, but unity. In fact, a lot of times the fact that, that we just get so, so ingrained with some of these things just reveals the fact that we are pride and we think we're the only ones right. And we got to deal with that because actually pride is a major issue that the scripture speaks about. I'm going to give an altar call right now. Like, <laughs> so I, th- I think there's sometimes the whole fighty thing is, is, is part of that. And then I think there's some people that just like, it's impractical. You, you're like, I, I, you know, I, man, I'm, I'm all about living the, living the life today. Man, I want to I grow in Christ today. Uh, man, I, I don't want to be so obsessed with the future that I miss out today. I actually agree with that. I don't think we should be so obsessed with the future that we miss today. But Revelation doesn't do that. Revelation, like, it's not just about the future. We're going to find that out. There's a lot of practical material for us that, that we're going to jump, jump into. And so when it comes, I had a guy yesterday at the men's breakfast, and we were talking about Revelation. In fact, I've had more conversations about Revelation this week than ever before, and, and I've enjoyed it. It's great. But he, he said, he, he used the joke that some of you have heard before, and we both laughed because I, yeah, I knew what he was talking about. But he, he said, yeah, I'm one of those guys. I'm not pre-millennial. I'm not post-millennial. I'm pan-millennial. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end, and so that's where I stand. <laughs> 
And we both laughed because I, I, he was just joking. And I, I listen, that's, that's funny. But there are some people, though, that use that as a smokescreen for not digging into the Word of God. Like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll let the theologians figure that out. Well, no, hold on a second. Do you think, do you think Jesus would actually come to John and say, I've got a message for the church, send this message to the church, and it'd it, it be something that is only about people are gonna live in the 2000s? It would have never been included in canon. That, that would have made absolutely no sense. Like, we're like, well, you know, I think he's talking about the nuclear bomb here. It's talking about Putin here. He's talking about, uh, you know, King Charles here. Stop it. Like, it was, it was, it is, there are futuristic aspects to this. But it was, it was given not just to give them idea of, of what was to come. In fact, it's right there. I read it in verse 19. It was given so that we could know. Actually, let me just, I want to make sure I quote this. I want to make sure I quote the verse right. Verse 19. He says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. I want you to look at the vision I've given you in the past. Write it down. Then I want you to acknowledge the things that are. And then I want, to, I want, I want you to, 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 to look at the things that are going to be. It's not just about the future. In fact, I would say this, I would say this, that, that what we're going to find in Revelation is information that believers in every age will find very practical on who, on who God is, on who Jesus is, on how we're to live, on what we're to do. It's, it's going to be, we're going to find practical discipleship uh, right here in this book that we think is all about the future. So it's not just in practical reasons. So, so if that's your excuse for, uh, I'm just going to ignore that, man, dive in. You're going to love it. The fourth thing I would say is just simply fear. Some of us are like, it's terrifying. That freaks me out. And, and, and listen, I get this. There's a part of this, okay? I'm not going to lie. As we get into Revelation, there will be uncomfortable parts of this. And the reason probably for us, especially in, uh, in, in, in the U.S., here in the Western world especially, is that it's hard for us to grasp the significance of saints crying out how long were they looking at persecution when we're sitting in our easy, in easy chair watching Netflix on a big screen TV waiting for e Uber Eats to show up with our order. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, like, it's hard for us to say, oh man, I'll tell you why, we're really facing it. Okay. Honestly, we butt in, and, and this might be offensive, but I, I hope that we do get a little uncomfortable over the next few weeks. Not in a bad way, because I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's such hope and, and Joel's word comfort that's found here. But guys, we got to stop buying into this false American gospel that says that if you're living for Jesus, everything is going to go perfect in your life. That, you show me where that is in Scripture. Show me, show me that verse. It's not there. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I've overcome the world. And that's what we're going to see. And so, so what we've got to understand is that, that there's going to be an uncomfortable thing because it's going to come up against our idols. There are times that revelation is going to rub us the wrong way because it's going to show us, and we're not going to like to admit it, that our hope is built in this world and not in the world to come. 
And so we got to be okay with that. And so I know that there's some of this, but, but when it comes to being fearful and we think that this is, this is terrifying and, and oh man, it's just like kind of all kinds of weird stuff and all of this. Listen, guys, man, we don't have, we don't, we don't have to be fearful. Now, I will tell you this, those who are living in opposition to Christ, those who curse the name of Christ, those who refuse Jesus Christ as Lord, I ain't gonna lie, there's a reason to be terrified. But when it comes to, to the, the people that are suffering, in fact, I will say this, the people that are here today that are gonna grasp revelation and maybe find comfort in it the most are those that have gone through tragedy and you can't wrap your mind around it. You, you've gone through, you're, you're going through a time of suffering that, that it, it is ripping you apart and you're like, what is wrong? Because it's like every song that they sing on Sunday has to do with joy and, and peace and all that sort of thing. What is wrong with me? Because I'm hurting right now. You're gonna find out that Revelation is written to hurting people. And you're going to identify many times with, with what's here. But, but this whole thing of a fear, man, we don't need to worry about this. Okay, I gotta keep going. Um, why, why should we study Revelation? First of all, I already hit this, the, the central message can be grasped. Very important, the central message can be grasped. Through Christ, the church is going to overcome, and we're going to look at what Christ is going to do. We're going to look at the things that happen. There are going to be things that we don't get, but I promise you, I'm going to make you this commitment. When we get to things that, that there are varying interpretations on, we'll, I'll admit that, or whoever's speaking will admit that. In fact, there are going to be things we're going to break down, uh, we'll, we'll get into history, we'll, we'll dive into to the Old Testament, we want to make sure that we're interpreting this correctly, but there are going to be times that I might say, here's my opinion. When I say, this is my opinion, do not walk away saying, thus says the Lord, because I'm not the Lord, all right? We're just going to admit that there might be some things we don't understand, but the central message can be grasped. And, this, and I, I, would, I would add to this that the central person, the central person uh, can, can be known, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about that here in just a second. But, but I would also say this, or another reason we should study is because we need an eternal perspective instead of a worldly perspective. We bought into this thing that what we see and what I'm living for and, and money and, and you know, the, the life and health and all that, that that's all that there is. But what we're going to see is that there's an eternal perspective. And in Revelation, Jesus is going to pull back the curtain and give us perspective on what really matters, what's really valuable, and what God is really doing. But another reason we should study is because, verse 3, there is a blessing promised to those who hear and keep its words. And I want to be blessed, and I want to pastor a church that is blessed. But I would, I would add to this, just to come back to the, the practical side of this, I think we should study Revelation because our walk needs to align with our talk. I like what, um, I like what Greg Laurie uh, said. He, was, he, he teaches through Revelation a lot, but he, he said something. I, I, I think I heard this years ago, and I wrote it down. He said, the reason we want to learn about the future is to help us live right in the present. I like that. The reason we want to learn about the future is so that we can live right in, in, in the present. But I, I, would, I would say that, that Revelation is less about the when of, of Jesus coming back and more to do with what we're to do, who we're to be, and what we can expect to endure until he does come back. And, and, and so, listen, don't get more obsessed with, uh, with the weird stuff 
than you do with a person of Christ, okay? So that's, that's, I think that's very important. Okay, last question, and then, uh, then we'll, we'll uh, actually, I'll just, uh, you know what, I'm just gonna do the introduction uh, this week. We'll, we'll jump in, we'll dive in next week to, uh, to, to more of the fun stuff. What will help us best understand Revelation? Okay, so I already talked about Revelation 119, very important. Um, I, I think it's good for us to make sure that we approach Revelation from, especially the, the futuristic parts of this from this perspective. Revelation is pre-written history. It's pretty cool. Revelation is pre-written history. And the, the reason I say that is, is revelation is, is revealing things that God already knows. And the reason why God can speak to this with accuracy and authority is because he's already there. He's already been there. He, he knows these things. And so, I, so, again, I think this is really important that even as we're studying, we under, have to understand revelation is pre-written history. Now, it means to unveil and, and there's, there's a lot that, that it's unveiling, yes, there's a future aspect to this, but I want to come back to the person that it's revealing, because uh, the, uh, what, what's going to help us understand Revelation is to know this, we have to know that Christ is at the center. Christ is at the center of Revelation. Man, what great news, Jesus is coming again. Like this is at the, it, it begins with this message. Behold, he's coming on the clouds. Jesus is coming soon. It ends. Revelation 22, it, re, it ends with this reality. Jesus is coming again. And so this is, this, this, is, this is the good news. We have to know he's at the center. I already spoke to this. We have to know the original audience, the historical context of Revelation. We need to know who Emperor Domitian is. We have to know uh, who John... John is, we have to know details about the seven churches. We need to study. We're going to have to dig, and that's okay. We're going to do that. We also have to recognize Old Testament quotes or allusions. Re Revelation contains more of the Old Testament than the rest of the New Testament all put together. There are over 800 direct quotations or indirect quotations to the Old Testament. And the reason we get off the rails and get into weird stuff is because we fail to acknowledge and understand and see that much of what's being quoted here is the Old Testament. Which, think about it, it makes perfect sense. John, when he, when he walked with Jesus, what was the Bible that they had? The Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament, that was gonna be written. Now, by the time, by the time Revelation is, uh, is written, it's, 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 it's arguably and probably it's the last of the book that's in, that's in the New Testament that was written chronologically. But, but you gotta know that, that John just didn't study the Old Testament. He was saturated in the Old Testament, which makes sense. So when he sees the throne of Christ, he see, or the throne of God, he's seeing the same thing that, uh, that Isaiah saw. So when he quotes Isaiah, they're seeing the same thing. When he sees uh, one kingdom crushing other kingdoms, He's, he's quoting right from Daniel. He's seeing what he sees. They're, they're seeing the same thing. And so I would say this, as you're setting Revelation, you need to do a little homework. Don't just come in here. I will not be able to, in the time that we had together, give you everything that you need. You need to do some digging yourself. But get a study Bible 
And, and this is where, when, when you're going to read through Revelation, and I have, like, I'm not one of those people that's like, hey, don't ever read the Bible on your phone. Thank God that the Bible's on the phone. I have zero problem with technology. I'm all for it. However, when you're studying, read with a, a Bible that either has study notes or, like, at the bottom of mine, they have, they have these little numbers that, that are highlighted to different verses, and you can look down and you can see the Old Testament passage that's being quoted. They've done the work for you. All you have to do is actually read and go back and, and do some research there, but we cannot miss the fact that much, in fact, a huge percentage, majority of, of revelation is coming from things that have already been seen in the Old Testament. And so I think that's really, really, really important and keeps us from getting off the rails. Um, the last thing that I would say this, to, 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 uh, you, you have to know that much of revelation is symbolic. Uh, and we'll, we'll jump into this. I'm not going to bore you this morning, but there's a, a type of literature. Uh, it's a genre that we're not familiar with. It's apocalyptic uh, literature. It was a style that was, that was written probably. Uh, not many of you are re reading. I don't know. Maybe you are. I don't know. But like probably most of you are not reading apocalyptic literature. It's good that we understand that not everything in Revelation is literal. Uh, just like in the Old Testament, they, they use analogy. They use symbolism. The same thing is going to be true here. And, and so we'll dig and we'll, and I, I will tell you, I will tell you that we're not going to understand every detail, like I said, but we are going to dig as much, we want to know as much as we can. And so we'll, we'll do some digging there together. Last thing I'm going to leave you with, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, is this. We have to know that the book of Revelation is one of triumphant optimism. And so like for the, for, for the believer, <laughs> Don't be freaked out about this. Don't, don't step away like, ah, oh, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know about this. No, it's, 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 a, it's a book of triumphant optimism. It's book ended by this great truth. Jesus is coming again. I just read, read the last night there was another mass shooting in Alabama. Like some birthday party. There's at least six kids that were killed. Dude, it just breaks your heart when you read this kind of stuff. When you hear this. What this says, Jesus is coming again. When he comes again, here's what we're going to read. He's going to turn the world upside down. He's going to correct injustice. He's going to punish wrongdoers. He's going to rescue his people. It is a book of triumph and optimism. And I think, man, for years when we've heard that phrase, especially, I would even say this, when you've been raised in the church and you hear that phrase, Jesus is coming again. Like some of you are like, oh, man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, it, you know, it produces discomfort. Like, oh, what's, what's, what's going to happen? It's going to freak me out. Am I going to fall as dead like, like Jot? Now we're going to rise. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> you know, so, some of us, I think, are, you know, like, well, you're a little disappointed. You're like, well, I, I just hope Jesus doesn't come back until, you know, I remember when I was, when I was like 13 or 14, I, I just, I, I wasn't living right, but I still pray, like, Jesus, don't come back until I get my license. I really want to be able to drive. Like, that was a big <laughs> deal to me. And then it was like, Jesus, don't come back until I've experienced what it means to, to be married and all that comes with that. I can't wait for that. And then it was, Jesus, don't come back until I have kids. Like, yeah, like I, you have all your hopes and dreams set on all these different things. Like, Jesus, I want to experience that first. But now he's, he's, he's coming back and it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be like, there's a lady that was not like me. She was like, she was in her late 80s. She has been through some stuff. And so I walk out one night after service. She catches me in the corridor and she's like, hey, uh, Pastor Keith, I need you to pray for me. And so, which I love doing that. Like if you stop me in there, I love being able to pray with people. So I'm like, man, how can I pray for you? And she goes, Pastor, I'd like for you to pray that I die. And I'm like, 
And I told her, I said, I don't know. I said, I've never, I've never prayed that before. Like that's, I don't know if I can do that. She goes, no. She said, man, she said, I, I'm ready to go see Jesus. My, my body's broken down. I hurt. I just want to go see Jesus. Would you pray that I die? And so I prayed the weirdest prayer I've ever prayed. I like <laughs> put my hand on my shoulder like, Lord, um, I've never prayed this before, but if it be your will and it needs to be your will for her to die uh, where it's not like us doing anything weird, you, you... <laughs> do your will. Dude, I prayed that prayer and I kid you not, two weeks later she died. And so I don't know what's going on, but like God answered her prayer. But I say, hey, listen, here's the deal, man. She was living for the Lord. She was ready to go. Like she, she was like, I, I'm ready to go. And that's why, man, when you read through this, this phrase, Jesus is coming again. And a lot of times it'll say, even so, come Lord Jesus, man, come on, come. Come, make this, make this right. And what Revelation is just showing is that what's ahead of us is so much greater than what's behind us. What's ahead of us, what's to come, mind hasn't seen, eye, uh, uh, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, all that God has in store for us. But the reality is he gives us enough that we can anticipate this. We can get excited about what God has for us. And that's what I'm praying that we grasp. Man, I, I wonder how it would be like if you're, if you're a parent and you leave on a trip, anybody been on a trip lately? And you leave your kids and while you're gone, here's the deal, you want your kids to anticipate your return, not to be like, oh man, I hope, hope dad does not get back before I spend the night at my friends. <laughs> or man, I'm really scared for him to return. I hope he doesn't find out what I did to the car while he was gone. Or, <laughs> or oh, oh, you know, I... I just don't think he's coming back and they go in denial and they take your picture off the wall and they forget all about you or whatever. Like, we, we would hate that. But can I tell you, that's what we do to this promise of Jesus when we're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. He doesn't want that. And he wants us to anticipate the fact that he's coming back. In fact, John 14, he gives us a picture of, of uh, or I should say, he gives us a description of what he wants us to feel when, when he writes in, uh, in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't be scared about this. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he gives them, he gives them a, a, just this idea. He, he said, in, in my father's house are, are many rooms. And he says he's going, he's leaving. He said, and, and, and he said, I'm coming back though. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He said he's gonna go prepare a place for us. And I'm gonna tell you, man, you look at what God did in six days, imagine what he can do in 2,000 years. I mean, there's a lot of work he's doing in preparation. But just think about this beautiful thing, though. He's preparing a place for us, for you. Like, everything you were created for. You think you were created for sex. You weren't created for sex. You think you were created for, for, for this, this pleasure that maybe comes from a high or, or comes from, that's not what you were created for. You were created for more than, than, than just the, the relationship that we have as, 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 as parents and kids and, and family and all that. You are created for more than that. Those are all blessed. You know, this is a blessing thing. Pleasure, happiness is a blessing. Sex is a blessing. But, but it, it can't compare to what he has for us. You were created for this and he's preparing a place and he's saying, I'm coming back and I'm gonna take you there. Now, before he comes back, there's some things we need to know. That's what we're gonna study over the next few weeks. And so God, I'm just praying as we prepare, continue to dig, that you do this work of lighting our imaginations, 
imaginations that are informed by scripture, but imaginations that just begin to wonder, what could this be? And instead of only seeing what we see, God, may you begin to place within us, and which I believe you have in every child, this desire to see you, to experience all that you have for us. I'm praying that for those who might just feel like kind of freaked out and, and whatever, that, that God, that, that there would be enough clarity in here as we, as we dig in. They would dispel the fear, the doubts. To God, I'm praying if there, there are people here, though, that they've never experienced the Christ that Jesus, that, that, that is being pointed to here in Revelation. Jesus Christ, the one that came and died for our sins. I'm praying that even through Revelation, we would be introduced to the one who saves, the one who comforts, the one who conquers, and the one who is coming back to take us home. And God, that there would be lives that are changed for all eternity because of the truth of this vision that's recorded here in Revelation. And so God, keep us on the rails. Help, help us not to be sidetracked by things that do not matter. May we be focused on the message that you've given your church. And God, for how we'll live in response to that, we'll thank you for the fruit that will come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Don't forget tonight, Next Steps class, 5 p.m. Next week, we'll d dive into Revelation 2. You're dismissed.